Welcome to the Peak Community Church Podcast, where weekly messages are available for your hearing. Anybody ever participate in a race? Anybody ever participate in a race? Uh, uh, watch a race? Maybe somebody was, was running and, and you wanted to go and, and, and support and show that support. Um, I've been I've been to a couple of races now. This could be running a marathon. This could be running a local 5K. Whatever you is uh, you know want to do. Rob and I we've we've had some experience in in uh, in running a couple of 5Ks together. Um, maybe you're not into running. Maybe you don't know any runners. Uh, maybe you're into NASCAR. Maybe you're into motorcycles. I don't feel like anybody's really racing. No, nobody's connecting with me. I got a couple of hands. Die hard, right? American Ninja Warrior? I mean, what do you guys watch? <laughs> Listen, it's a race. It's <laughs> what do you watch? <laughs> Listen, whether it's the tortoise and the hare, whether it's father and son, funny thing about races is that they all, they're, they're all pretty much the same in, in, in these regards. They, they start off slow, right? Everyone that's gathered, everyone, there's always that, a level of, of anticipation, of nervousness, uh, competitors dropping, you know, dried apricots and doing their stretch. Oh, good God. Doing their stretches, getting ready to, 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 to compete, right? But for the people that are there, they're, 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 they're the bystanders, kind of like just the start. No big deal, right? Um. The competitor has to figure out, the race starts, has to figure out their pace. You find the pace, a, a certain rhythm that you get into. And, and, and those beginning stages of a race aren't always very exciting, are they? There's a lot of touchy-feely, try to get to know. There's a course. People aren't usually crowded around there. But, but usually as the race progresses, drama always unravels. Huh? Once that race starts going, people find their paces, they're getting into their position, and all of a sudden somebody pulls a hamstring, oh, drops out. A car blows out a tire, there's an accident, that one gets taken out. There's a lot of things and accidents and injuries that can occur. And as people are disqualified and as people are tapped out, it, it, it starts kind of thins out the competition, doesn't it? And all of a sudden it becomes more interesting. All of a sudden, people are more. It's when you get closest to the end that there seems to be a heightened level of enthusiasm, right? Because you're getting close to that end. It's, it's, it's when the finish line is in sight. And that's where the crowds are usually the thickest. That's where the noise is usually the loudest. The, the, the yelling and the cheers. Come on. You can do it. Yippee. Hooray. Keep it moving. Keep it coming. <laughs> this is a shot of uh, uh, Rob as, 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 as he was finishing the finish line. You got that next slide, Oscar? There he is. Running that 5K. Look at that. 23, 58, 14, 20. 24 minutes to run three and a half miles. And there he was. And where was daddy on that finish line? Hooray! Come on, you can do it! Because <laughs> I ain't running that one with you. <laughs> Listen, church family, let me, let me give you a heads up quick. Be careful of the ones that shout for you the loudest. They might just be the same voices that turn on you the quickest. 
Come on. Not everybody that's rooting for you is for you. Can, can, can I keep it real this morning? Not everybody that's rooting for you is for you. And the ones that would shout the loudest for you would be the ones that would quickly turn their back towards you. How do I know this? I mean, here we are. We're going to speak about Jesus' triumphal entry. From the moment Jesus entered the earth, he had a destination. There was a purpose and a plan for his life. There was a finish line. He came to complete an objective. The gospel records this transition. Jesus' final lap of his ministry as he approaches the final lap, the finish line. Lord, Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning. We, we're seeking out, Lord Father, your face. We're seeking out knowledge and wisdom of your word. We pray, Father God, that even as we have felt your spirit move here in worship, that you would move here in the deliverance of your word. Fill my mouth, O oh God, with the words that this congregation needs to hear. Accomplish your purpose and your plan with your people, we pray and ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen. The ninth chapter of the gospel according to Luke at the 51st verse, the Bible says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. This this, uh, um, this phrase, to be received up. This, this is referring to the entire sequence of events from, from his betrayal to his suffering, eventually to his murder, and also include his resurrection and his ascension. He was to be received up, ascended unto the right hand of the Father, and there he makes intercessions for us. There he's, he's pleading our course and our case. He was received up. But in order for him to be received up, the Bible says that he put his face steadily towards Jerusalem. Another, another translation might, might say that he set his face like a flint, like a flint, like a rock. The, the Greek terminology there is, is, is a laser-focused, resolute uh, desire and drive to push through and accomplish the task. He, he, he set his face. He couldn't be deterred. You, you ever grab two flint rocks and, and strike them together? They're, they're so hard that, that you could start fire with them. They're fire starters. And what he's saying is that Jesus put his face so hard towards Jerusalem to accomplish this task. By this time in the money, they were already being spoken of, the whisper. Did you hear about Lazarus? He was dead for he called them out by name. Did, did you hear about the woman with the issue of blood? Twelve years suffering. One word, one touch. She, 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 from what I heard, just touched his garment and was healed. Did you hear about the time? He was coming out. There was a massive storm. His disciples said that he walked on water. He's a water walker. Come on. See, see, the stories were already getting around. How, how many know that the more you shine, the greater the hype? The more you shine, the more you do, 
the more people are going to be speaking about you. Huh? The greater that testimony is, the quicker that that's going to, like wildfire, get around. Advertisers know this. Great corporations know this. There's no greater advertisement. You want to spend some advertisement dollars? Turning around and co-signing what you do. There's, there's no better advertisement than that. Now, Jesus was shining, and people was talking. And there was a level of excitement because somehow, some way, at this Passover, they knew that Jesus was their king. But what were the crowds expecting? Hmm? What kind of king did they want? See, their greatest desire, their greatest concern was freedom from the rule of the Roman Empire. To be established as a nation, to, to break off the chains of oppression from Caesar and to be set free. And, and I got to tell you that they were more concerned with their government and earthly rule than they were to their kingdom rule. Having eyes to see, the Bible says that they could not see. Having ears to hear, and yet they could not hear. Because they were looking, they wanted to see what they wanted to see. Selective vision, selective hearing. If you ain't speaking what I want to hear, then I don't want to hear it. What were, what were some of the things that they didn't know as Jews? What were some of the things that they really understood? Well, 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 they knew that one day, one day there will be a one who will come from God, a savior who will deliver them from their oppression, free them from their bondage. I mean, just listen to some of these prophecies that, that they studied, even, even to be bar mitzvah, Genesis 3.15, written 1,440 years before the birth of Christ. And the Bible says that the Lord said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You will bruise his heel. Genesis 17.19, he spoke to Abraham. Then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant, my testament with him as an everlasting covenant. It will not end. And with his descendants after him. Numbers 24, 17, 1400 years before the birth of Christ. I see him, but now I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of Tumult. If we look and explore the, the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, 700 years before the birth of Christ. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. A contemporary of Isaiah, completely on a different jurisdiction uh, um, in Israel, Micah wrote to the people, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from of old from everlasting. Family, there are over 40, over 40 detailed, direct, prophetic messages, writings that would describe the Messiah before he come. And, and I'm telling you that as they were experiencing the life of Jesus, hearing his teaching, watching his ministry, following his works, huh? could he be the one? Could he? The whispers stirred, rumors traveled, stories were told of this Messiah, this, this Jesus, this rabbi coming out of Nazareth. They asked each other, is he the Messiah? Could he be the one? Is he the anointed one of Israel, the promised one? How could they know? How could they know for sure? You know, vision's only 2020 when it's hindsight. We can look at it now and look back historically and see how all the pieces played, but they were living the moment. They were there. How could we possibly know if he is the one? The one prophecy that was undeniable the one every Jew was looking for in Jerusalem for hundreds and hundreds of years awaiting this moment. Out of all of the prophecies that were written about the Messiah, the one that all the people knew about and waited for with anticipation came out of Zechariah. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, the Bible says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and, and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall not be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. See, the Jews knew Zechariah's prophecy. And they knew that, if anything, coming through that eastward gate would be their Messiah riding on a donkey. See, the Jews purposefully, they would keep donkeys away from the eastern gate just to make sure that this wouldn't happen accidentally. See, see, this would be, how sad, how sad for religious leaders, for, for people who knew the scriptures, that, that followed the word, that walked in obedience. How sad that their primary indicator was looking for the man that would come riding into the city on a donkey. The Bible tells us that the tree is known by the fruit it produces. The Bible tells us that, that a man is known by the fruit he produces, that, that even his own self-proclamation, that I am, that I am. As soon as the crowd saw him entering the gate of Jerusalem, they knew at that moment it was undeniable. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, and we, the people, will shout out and, and praise his entrance, his triumphal entrance. Jesus is our king. But what kind of king is this? No other king could vanquish the war horse. 
or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. So they, they laid down their outer garments them down on the ground. They went to the palm tree. They cut down the leaves, threw them onto the ground before him as they sat him upon this colt. He entered into Jerusalem fulfilling declaring, I am the Messiah. I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They threw down what they had, what represented themselves, and, and laid it down for Jesus, laying down a red carpet for their king. There was no doubt in the people's mind that morning that this man called Jesus was declaring himself to be the one, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Matthew 21, 7 and 10, they brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And the very multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them onto the road. When then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cry out, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the people, they were moved saying, Who is this? The people were concerned with Jesus and acknowledging him as the one, the Savior. And so Hosanna was the 
one word prayer, that one word declaration that, that, that speaks it and cries it out. Hosanna, save us, save us now, was their cry. Except they misunderstood the prophecy. They had their own agenda. See, they wanted saving freedom. But they wanted that saving freedom from the rule of the Roman Empire. They wanted to be established as a nation unto themselves and and to break those chains of tyranny for Caesar to be set free. They were more concerned with their earthly rule. But that wasn't Jesus' mission. That wasn't his goal. So what was the primary objective of Yeshua? Matthew 20, 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his, what kind of king is this that would come rather than ruling, would rather serve? To teach, to come alongside. You know, to give himself his life as a ransom, the Greek word lutran from, from the verb luo, it, it really means to loose. This ransoming is a, is a loosening. The verb signifies a, a release from slavery or, or captivity brought about by a payment of a price. See, family, don't get it twisted. Sin demands an atonement. It demands an expiation. A price has to be paid to the penalty that is owed. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You get caught up in a sin, and, and as you pursue it, and as you entertain it, and as it becomes a habit, it's always leading towards death. Jesus came to deliver, to set us loose from the guilt and the shame that our consciences carry. The deliverance, not from Roman soldiers, but from the crippling weight of shame and guilt. Things that that we've done that we shouldn't have done. Thoughts we've entertained that we had no business allowing to enter into our mind. Not freedom, not from an oppressive government, but from sin and its wages. Some would even say freedom from ourselves. How many people know that we are our own worst enemy? I'd be doing great if I just was able to get out of my own way. I'm here to tell you, family, that the king that we received wasn't the king that they were expecting. But what we got, so much greater. See, this deliverance, anybody ever fight bouts of depression? Anybody ever fight any, any, any battles of low self-esteem, vices and addictions and, and, and battles, battles of suicidal thoughts? I, I just feel like there's people that are struggling with some real struggles. Can I challenge you this morning to hear the roar of the crowd as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, as he approaches the finish line, join with them this morning and cheering him on. Hosanna, we cry out. Jesus, save us, we pray. If the cry of your heart this morning is Hosanna, save me. I'm going to ask you, would you give me an opportunity to pray with you this morning?
I'm, I just see a vision of, of Jesus entering in the triumphal entry. We, we cover ourselves so much. We, we, we put on these faces and these facades and we put on Gucci and Louis Vuitton and, and, and we've got all of these things that, that we, we, we want to cover up. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, you know what? It's time to just lay yourself bare and uncover it and lay it down. Lay it down. Can we be real this morning? Can we be transparent? He already knows. Jesus is posting up in here in Peekskill this morning. Family, will you recognize him as Messiah? As Savior? As the one? Is he your king this morning? See, the crowd, they knew they needed deliverance. They just didn't understand what type of deliverance they needed. It wasn't from a worldly government. Caesar is Caesar. Render to Caesar what Caesar. We're here for a short moment of time. There is so much greater than the tangible, than what I could touch, taste, or feel. This is going to go back down to the maggots where it belongs. God has come to give us a freedom. And that freedom is the freedom of death, eternal life. Hallelujah. Are you willing to leave that at the feet of Jesus this morning? The Peak Community Church is a young, vibrant, life-giving church in the heart of Peekskill. Come and visit us on Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. at the historic Elks Club, 1038 Brown Street. Thank you for listening.